Hello and welcome to Crosswires. My name is Jay, and that was not written by any uh, AI program. That was me writing this off the cuff of my head. My lovely co-host, who when I put a picture, when I asked Mind Journey to t- to to show me a, f- a photo of him, brought back a picture of. Neil Patrick Harris. So I, I don't know what's quite there, but I mean, so how are you doing, James? I, I am I am feeling worried for an AI for I'm Barney Stinson. But other than that, I am doing good. But I mean, you know, that's how I met your mother. So. <laughs> going to leave right now. No, yes, I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing really good. And look, I'm really excited about this episode because... We've used a little bit of chat GT, uh, chat GPT. I, I will not lie. I did a few of the go live and, and toots for the streams. Like I did the Mr. Freeman, my best G man impersonation. Well, that sounds more like Alan Rickman. Uh, but I uh, had, ch- ch- and I made it clear we did that. So our, well, let me do, let me just real quick ask ChatGPT. Oh yes. Okay. Our guest today is Catherine Flix. I am so sorry. I'm just. I like doing the pun. You, you wanted me to host, so I'm, re- I'm regretting this decision. And and shouldn't that be Doctor Catherine Flick? Shouldn't we be honorific here? You know. Yes, right, Doctor Catherine Flick. So see that 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 shows that when ChatGPT told me it was was missing that that is that shows some of the factual inaccuracies of ChatGPT. <laughs> anyway, how are you today, Doctor Catherine? I'm very well, thanks. Actually, I've, I've I have Chat GPT'd myself um, once, and it came back with the most ridiculous stuff that I was just like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> I don't not quite quite sure where it got that from, but uh, yeah, I think it said something like I, I'd come. I, I don't know, it was it was it was saying that I was from like somewhere in the north of England or something, and I'm like, "No, nah, it's snip. No, that's 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 not where I'm from." <laughs> no, no. As an as an as a English Northern man, I can attest to the fact that Catherine is a hundred percent not from the north of England. <laughs> I'm from about as as south as south as possible, um, Sydney, Australia. <laughs> oh, I wanted to go to Australia. I this is my last tangent. I w- had a friend send me a box of stuff from Australia and Vegemite. Let me just say, tasted like tar to me. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but that's what it's it delicious. <laughs> But you do have to kind of, it is an acquired taste. Okay, good, good. Because I took, I was like, was it what I was expecting? <laughs> you got to spread it very thinly. This, this is, this is a whole debate. This is, this is, yep, yep, yep. This is going to be the Marmite versus Vegemite uh, argument between the uh, the Englishman and the Australian. So uh- <laughs> I think with that, I want to move on into our, our, our topic today because uh, we had you on a while back about Bitcoin and in the blockchain, and that was a fascinating thing. I learned a lot. I know James learned a lot. So I think a lot of people have noticed it feels like in the last month or two, really, every single program has AI. I just saw another thing that misses me saying, we now have AI. And I'm like, you are the app I use to figure out how, to, how much coffee grounds for my coffee. Why do I need AI on you? I, it's just everything. It's like the AI buzzword. So what do we mean by AI in this discussion? And I, I think let, let's go to the expert in, in, in the room on this. <laughs> I suppose that means me. So I guess uh, maybe I should just talk about my uh, what my expertise is to start with, just so that, you know, your, 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 your fans out there don't uh, – 
get ChatGPT to write horrible things to me. No, they won't because they're lovely people, lovely listeners. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm an ethicist. I'm a technology ethicist and I specialize in the ethics of emerging technologies. And AI is not actually an emerging technology, but it seems like we sort of hear about, you know, in very emergent applications of AI frequently. And so that's why I sort of have an interest in it. And I've recently written a, um, a book chapter on the ethics of creative AI. So that's, I guess, a really good uh, step into what we'll be talking about today. So I guess back to the question at hand, what do we mean by AI, right? So AI is basically, it's an applied uh, form of machine learning, which is basically, and all machine learning people will hate me for saying this, but it's really just fancy statistics. It's probabilities. It's what is likely to come next. If I put in this input, what, what would be the most likely, uh, output, um, the next word in the next sentence, in that sentence, uh, what would be the predicted next thing? And basically, um, what that means is there's AI is quite good. Well, AI is not really it. like it's a hype term, right? Okay, so it is basically all machine learning. All of this stuff is machine learning. Um, it's uh, a way that you take a big data set of known factors. So, for example, if you want to um, have a bunch of pictures of leaves and you want the machine learning algorithm to identify the type of leaf for you, you have to train it with a whole bunch bunch of pictures of known leaves. And basically that involves somebody sitting down and saying, this is a eucalyptus leaf. This is an oak tree, oak leaf. This is a yew. This is a maple. This is a whatever. And do that like many, 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 many times, right? Until it, it's built up a library of known good identified versions of the leaves. And then it goes off and you can set it off to basically then say, have a go at identifying unknown leaves and then you tend to like there's certain different depends on the type of algorithms that are being used but then basically um they can then learn from their mistakes so you can double check you know you can check their work and tell them where they went wrong and they can learn from that etc etc so it's just, it's really actually just a computational process with some human input to make it learn what it is that we want it to spit out, right? Um, and that's what's called a, a narrow AI. So there's different types of AI. So narrow AI has a very specific purpose. In this case, it's identification of a leaf or leaves. And then you have what people call general AI. And this is uh, what the this is where the hype that we're hearing about, like people are talking about you know, this, these large language models. So things like ChatGBT having, you know, sentience or having intelligence, they, they're sort of building into this hype about this general, um, artificial general intelligence. And that's the kind of stuff you see in the movies, right? So you've got like movies about AIs, like Terminator, like, um, you know, uh, what, Ex Machina, all those sorts of films, you know, she's, she, her, which one was it? The, <laughs> one of the ones with, um, what's his name? Her. That's oh, what yeah, I her, get. yes. When I'm thinking of also like Transcendence, where Keanu Reeves uploads his likeness to a to a computer and all that. Which- yeah, I mean that's a similar sort of thing. Um, but like the the idea is that there's this sentience, you know, in in the computer, right? And that's what they kind of, or, or at least a, a um, reflection of some sort of sentient, like what what we might consider to be sentient as human, you know, re- you know, recognition of another creature, right? And so that's what they, there's a, there's a whole load of people who want to 
get there. They want to have these sorts of sentient machines. They want to have these, you know, robots that can like, you know, <laughs> out of Star, Star Trek or whatever, right? Like they want to have sentient robots essentially. And they think that this is the way to get there with this machine learning uh, process. However, that it's not the case. This is not um, what is actually happening at the moment. What we have still is narrow AI. Even these very large learning, uh, large language models, these are still um, very specifically trained for a very specific purpose, and they can't go outside their boundaries. Even though they might, it might seem like they do occasionally, they can't actually do it. All they're doing is looking at a sentence that's been written and then pr- predicting what the best output is for the next word in that sentence or, you know, the next sentence or the next paragraph or whatever. And that's, I mean, this is why Emily Bender and uh, Timnit uh, Gebru and their co-authors talked about this being a stochastic parrot. Basically, it's um, so stochastic means uh, random. Basically, you can analyze it, but you can't really predict it. Um, And they talk about it being a parrot, being meaning that basically it can only really spit out stuff that has gone into it already. So it can only really repeat back at us what it has learned from reading um, tons and tons of text, right? So there's no way that it can go outside of that. It has those kind of concept of of, of anything outside of the probabilities of, of, of words, okay? So that's, I mean, I just really want to get that out, out the gate because Often people say, oh, but isn't it, you know, maybe it's a bit sentient or maybe it's smart or whatever. Like people talk about being intelligent as if it has a human style intelligent intelligence. Um, but really it's, it's not actually, it's just got a lot of data and it has a lot of uh, computational power behind it so that it can look quite sophisticated when it's not actually, um, that sophisticated in terms of intelligenceness. So we're not talking like the the equivalent of because I'm deep in the middle of watching Star Trek Picard season three, and actually I think uh, season one I think dealt with AI a lot uh, in terms of, like data, but season three obviously we've got a lot going on. So we're not talking about the equivalent of like the ship's computer in Star Trek, or indeed data himself, an uh, an actual artificial intelligence that is sentient that can make rational decisions by itself without, uh, I think as Catherine said, without it being driven by data sets and inputs i think data is not so it's not like captain picard has to say data i'm going to give you these parameters and this is all you can work within yeah exactly i mean so i think it's really important to to recognize that in the safe so there's a really good example that i I was just reading about earlier today and it was basically someone input into chat gpt um asking it to explain how to remove a jam sandwich from a VCR slot in the style of the King James Bible, right? And ChatGPT had a great <laughs> – it's it fabulous. ChatGPT came up with this great response to this and basically um, was, you know, you know, yay, though I walk in the – you know, all the sort of, you know, the very, like, like very biblical style, old school biblical style words. And then it was like, you must then – place the knife between the jam sandwich and the slot and all this sort of stuff, you know. Anyway, but the thing is, is that if you actually read through the solution it gave, it didn't, it had no concept of 
what it was to have a jam sandwich stuck inside a VCR slot. Like you can't just put a knife in and separate it from, from the, the, the sandwich from the slot. You have to kind of like, you know, it has no, there's no conception of what the actual problem is. There's no conception of there being like a solution. All it was doing was taking the parameters, you know, must be in the style of the King James Bible, must have something to do with jam sandwiches and VCR. So it has sort of probably has some understanding about what a VCR might well, it doesn't even have an understanding of what a VCR is like, but it knows what to look like, where to go to get that information, right? It knows that, you know, um, to, to, it should talk about slots. It should talk about buttons. It should talk about bits of plastic. I don't know what, whatever it is, right? But that's, but that's only because they come up as high probabilities from the results of it sifting through all the text that, that it's got access to, right? And then like, so there's no, it has no concept. Uh, it doesn't have, even have any concept of what the King James Bible is. It just knows that because it's read lots of pro read, you know, it's, it's had a lot of text data that's been tagged King James Bible that it under, has read a lot of. Um, and that would have been probably done by humans, by the way, like a lot of this data, all these, all these big text uh, things don't come from nowhere. It doesn't sort of build an understanding from nothing. There needs to be some sort of um, tagging, some sort of categorization that is actually done by humans. <laughs> um, so there are humans in there somewhere at some point. Yeah. And then basically it's used that to create this re response that doesn't actually even make, you know, doesn't actually even solve the problem, right? Because it doesn't have a concept of, and that's the difference between a repeating parrot that has, you know, random chance, but a fairly high probabilistic chance of getting the right words out versus a thinking, feeling human being that can conceptualize, like you thinking, like if I say VCR, most people over the age of about, I don't know, what, 30 or so have an idea of what a VCR looks like. They can kind of imagine what it's like to put the tape in and the chunking noises that go on and, you know, the, you know, what happens when you get stuck and, you know, that sort of stuff, right? Like there's, there's a lot going on that is more than just, re you know, regurgitating words. So yeah. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> oh, no, that, that was perfect. And I, I think part of what we're also seeing is we're only seeing the good stuff, like the close matches being publicized. And a lot of the, that's not quite what I was looking for. We're not really talking about that a lot. So it almost, because I, I know a while back there was a app out there, was a, ge ge a geo coordinates app. And, and people thought, oh, this app will find you something. And like someone, someone found a body bag. I mean, like, I, 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 I this is another joke, a, a serious, they went to this coordinate and they found what they thought was like a, a, a bag with someone. I mean, th there were different incidents that were outrageous that they were finding. And it was just because it was random chance. And then someone said, you are only hearing about specific instances you weren't hearing about everybody else who went to locations from this app where nothing happened yeah i mean that that's fairly common in any sort of um hype cycle right you only ever hear about the um the like this happened in the bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies that you know you only heard about the people that made lots of money you never hear about the people that lost lots of money or lost a little bit of money um right because of various reasons but the same thing here you only really hear about the successes i mean the thing is also is that sometimes the failures can be very interesting and can they can be very funny as well right so we actually have heard of 
quite a few failures as well. Like, for example, I mean, I talked about the fact that it got me, got me wrong, but actually people are now starting to say, well, actually, surely there should be some responsibility there if it does actually get me wrong. And it, like, for example, there was a, um, a, a somebody who, uh, I don't know, it basically came up with, it was, it was an academic who basically asked it about the academic misdemeanor case that didn't actually exist, right? And it came up with a whole case that just out of nowhere um, and presented it very confidently as being fact, right? And so there's this, this now, now there's this idea that, well, you know, surely if it can, if I go to chat GPT and I say, oh, you know, what about that horrible case of when Catherine Flick broke the law and it will come up with a whole story about how I broke the law. Now I've never broken, the, well, I probably have, but not in a such a way that it's been a, you know, um, significant, uh, you know, factor in, in, in anything, but, uh, you know, certainly wouldn't be in a space where it would be written down for ChatGPT to have any understanding of it, right? Or any knowledge of it. So the fact that it, it is essentially, um, able to come up with these kind of fantasies of whatever it is that you type, you ask it for makes it very different, makes it very, well, it makes it great for writing stories, but it makes it terrible for anything that's, that's supposed to be factual. And then if somebody goes on to use that as some sort of factual basis for saying, oh, well, Catherine Flick's a lawbreaker, you know, um, that academic did this horrible academic misdemeanor, you know, all these sorts of things that could potentially be quite defamatory. And, um, you know, I think there are now some people who are, who are trying to, well, not, I think they are actually trying to sue or they're, they're trying to work out how to to bring this up in a in a way that they can um, you know stop these sorts of occurrences from happening because they're obviously can be quite harmful potentially. Absolutely, and it, it, it is very yeah. It, it, that's going to be dangerous because it, it can also like when we've got these this misinformation of false stories, does it then? call into question things that are genuine like for example i mean just to make a, a bit of a joke because I, I know you're because i'm joking about this because of some of the stuff we've exchanged on 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 mastodon you know the fact that uh the tory party is in an absolute shambles but would people then doubt that because oh well chat uh, it's got it wrong before about other things when that's a verifiable fact well, <laughs> well, this is and this, but this is the, this is the complicated bit, right? I mean, verifiable fact is actually quite tricky, right? So that one of the concerns that a lot of people have about these large language models and the fact that they're going to be used, that they are going to be used, right? People are going to use them. They're going to use them to write the copy text at the top of a washing machine ad sales pitch. They're going to write it, use it for the, you know, the top, you know, there's recipes where you have to scroll like 5 million pages down before you actually get to the recipe. They're going to use it for that. They're going to use it for all kinds of stuff. There are going to be spammers who will just use it to create yeah, SEO optimization text, right? I mean, it's, it's, this is, we're going to have a whole load of garbage to sift through just generally from, 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 you know, just, just from this, just like as, as it gets more and more popular to actually, um, you know, and, and more usable in, in terms of actually just using it in day to day websites and, and things like that. So for one thing, we're going to be inundated with chat GPT or similar. Uh, large language model created text. And then, so it's then, okay. And, and then you see news websites, like news sites actually using it, right? I mean, I think it was BuzzFeed that was, got, got caught <laughs> using it um, for some of their pieces. And you just think, well, okay. So firstly, these models, they, ha they don't get, well, for the most part, because they're trained on a big data set. 
they're not actually there's going to be a limit to the cutoff time at which point that that data set was used right for the training session. I mean, there are some ways that you can kind of keep things up to date, but for the most part, those tend to be very computationally expensive to update the the, the training, right? And so what you'll find is probably is most of the stuff is actually running on an older copy of the, the, the data set. So it won't know about, I don't know, yesterday's news, right? And so if you ask it about yesterday's news it'll probably make up some great story rather than actually have take you to the the facts about the matter of whatever it was in in yesterday's news you're interested in so this is one of the issues right so you you have this 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 fixed set of data um i mean this i'm sure they're they're building ways to to update it more efficiently but um one of the big issues i think with the integration into search engines is the fact that these search engines are not very smart either they can't really tell fact from fiction either so you're going to find a whole lot of websites that look reasonable. And there's been a bunch of studies that show that people have no idea what to look for in terms of like fact, like <laughs> factualness in terms of websites, right? So they, they just don't know what to look for. They, if it looks like a, a, a news website, they'll take it as a news website, you know, even if it's like, you know, the onion or something like that, right? So this is the issue is that we're going to have a whole load of junk that to sift through to start with, and then a whole bunch of people who are misusing it to look, make it look like it's factual. And that can be, you know, you know, anti-vaxxers, pro-Russian websites. It could be, you know, all sorts of, you know, political or, or, or whatever, uh, information that, you know, propaganda. You mean Twitter? Yes. And Twitter. Exactly. I mean, absolutely. Social media will be full of it as well. So we have to learn a lot how to sift through this stuff a lot better. And I think actually in the future, there's going to be a lot more for, you know, where, uh, search engines and that to actually sift through this stuff and actually help us to, to sort fact from fiction that than than it currently does because at the moment it's pretty rubbish at that. <laughs> so yeah, I think this this is one of the issues that people are really flagging up is that we're just going to have so much junk to sift through that we at the moment it's quite easy to sift out the spam because it's mostly just lots of repeated words and stuff and most people can kind of say oh yeah that looks a bit spammy but with these very sophisticated uh, writing that these these big large language models come up with it's going to look more human and therefore it's going to not tweak people's spam sensors as well as it as, as it currently happens and going along with that these are these are two articles that are older but they are still a fundamental aspect of this so um there are two articles that we'll have in the show notes um one is on the years ago microsoft put out a chatbot tay and tay said some very racist well Tay started out mostly okay, but over time, Twitter users started feeding Tay information and turned Tay into um, both be, say, some racist things, but also be a Holocaust denier and things like that. And that that was showed that Tay was getting the data set, as you were talking about, that people were giving it, and Tay was parroting it back. Then also part of these data sets, back in 2015, Google Photos was, for instance, labeling black people as as animals, uh, and 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 this is something that 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 Google apologized for and and fixed. But it does show who's who's writing the AI, who's writing the the data set. I'm trying to remember the one, but there is one someone is asking about a someone even recently someone was asking ChatGPT about when is this movie out, and ChatGPT because of its data set being far back was like. Oh, this movie's not out. It's not. It's not coming out until next year. And like, it came out last week. Oh no, it's not gonna. 
coming out this week. This is coming this year, and you're lying to me. I mean, it was a literally fighting the user who was chatting with it, saying that the user was making it up because of the of the data set. And yeah, I think you raised some very some very scary pr- propositions that 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 we have to ask because some of the data looks good, like, but some of the data that is coming out is incredibly scary. And like, I, I know that I've, I'm part of the millennial generation and I know some of the scary part is as I'm my generation, it was a little bit more, my generation was a little less skeptical of, of things we've read on the internet than even the prior generations. And I know generations coming forward, I would say some things are a little, a little even less skeptical, not always, but some people I, I know have said, Oh, it was on the internet. It must be true. Or I saw it on TikTok." And when you try things, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have tried that. I mean, I think Tide Pods was a, people thought, we're told, try this. And no, it was a bad, bad thing. But yeah, I, I think I'm scared by the fact that AI is being tied with, tied with search engines, which search engines, I've always been told, especially because I used to do marketing, take what you, the results with the grain of salt. But that's because I was involved in search engine marketing and I was involved in all that. And now tying that together, I'm kind of scared about what's going to happen. Yeah, well, you should be. I mean, it is scary. And I mean, the thing is also is that there's just so much money behind all of this. It's not going to go away anytime soon. It's just going to get worse. I think actually something you brought up is really important um, here is that it's very important to understand where it's getting the the data from um, and where these these large language models are getting the data from and and so the issue with Tay was that they wanted it to learn from Twitter, so it had a little bit of a a, a bootstrap, but but then basically it, it it learned live essentially. Now they learned not to do that because of what happened on Twitter and what happened with Tay. And I I've got some colleagues that wrote a couple of really good papers on that. So uh, Frank Grzynski and Marty Wolf, um, and uh, they wrote some really good papers about Tay and the ethical issues with with that and the fact that there was no testing really testing done before it was put up and and really it should never have been deployed it should and so so thankfully to a certain degree um these have been the, the sort of live learning um has well it's not not been completely stopped but it's it's being a little bit more cautious right so they're being a lot more cautious with that sort of style of of learning however they're still getting all of their data from the internet. And the places that they tend to scrape it from are places that are public facing. So, and places where people talk a lot because they want to get a humans, they want to, you know, have human sounding results, right? So it's Reddit, it's Twitter, it's um, public forums, it's things like, you know, uh, all those like Quora and all those like Stack Exchange. It's, it's all those places where people have written conversations that are human. Um, that, you know, they, they have the kind of quirks that are human. Uh, and they also tend to be, you know, and in the case of particularly Reddit and Twitter and some places, uh, they are not always nice and they are often quite racist. They're often homophobic. They're often transphobic. They're often sexist. They're often, you know, really just awful people saying awful things. And all of this has gone into the learning models, right? And so that's why you've seen with certainly with the chat GPT, um, prompts and things, they're trying to put 
bounds on this, right? So they're trying to say, oh, no, I'm not going to – like they talk about – um I'm not going to talk about the Holocaust or I'm not going to talk about this and I'm not going to talk about that because they've run into issues where it does actually spit back really horrible things, right? And so instead of actually solving the underlying problem, which is the data set itself, they're just saying, oh, we'll, we'll put a ring fence around this and we'll make sure that it doesn't talk about that. But as um, I was reading another paper recently about how this actually is really problematic um, because if they don't want to talk about problematic things, so for example, um, uh, some of the racial uh, stuff is actually really important to talk about, but what they're actually doing is putting a ring fence saying, well, you know, I can't talk. If, if you ask ChatGPT about, I don't know, what, what is, what is it like to be, you know, a, a black person living in this, you know, what, you know, like, what is it to be, to experience racism, for example, right? It will probably most likely spit back something where it's, un, un, it says it can't really talk about that because it's, it's been told essentially by its creators to not really, to not talk about racism, to not talk about race or, or whatever. And so, these boundaries, while they're actually protective to a certain degree, it also normalizes the whiteness, it normalizes the kind of tech broness of it. And like it, 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 there's a, there's a real issue with that in these, in these models. And it is, that is a huge problem. The data sets that feed into it, if they are racist, if they are homophobic, it is going to spit out. There's a wonderful old term I remember from, you know, like from data processing days, rubbish in rubbish out and that's always going to be a problem and you're, you're right it it accentuates the tech broness and i you know look let's just be really honest we all three of us have probably seen enough hatred and stuff online we just don't want more of that and unless the data set is verified and and properly vetted in a way that makes sure that it doesn't contain that data. But that means more manual work. So again, it goes back to a point is ultimately this comes down to human work. This is not sentient. No. This is thriving off what it is fed. The issue really with that is that it's just it's it's not just that it requires human humans, it requires like a lot of human work. And a lot of that tends to be um uh, the companies find the cheapest labor possible, which does tend like so. In fact, there was a lot of um, work being shipped out to Kenyans because English is the is a first language for Kenyans. But of course, they have a basically a, a lower price point in terms of their late what what you know their labor is worth quote unquote. And um, so yeah, so there was a lot of lot of work being done by by Kenyans on 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 for labeling data. The the issue also there is that they're because there's because they they basically just strike out a lot of the stuff that they you know that that shouldn't be talked about right so there's no nuance there and there needs to be able to like there needs to be some nuance there and there, if it needs if it's going to be um what they want it to be it needs to be able to have that nuance and needs to be able to have that conceptualization, which is, which is why, like, I just really want to ram this home is that there is no way that this is ever going to become a sentient creature. It's never going to become like a human intelligence because it just has no concept. There is no conceptualization that's going on there. It does, it does not understand what it is like this, like, Whenever you hear anyone say anything about how ChatGPT or these other models understand something, they do not understand anything. All they are doing is essentially rolling the dice and coming up with the best possible response for the next 
word, right? I mean, I used to write these little bots back in the IRC days called Markov bots, right? And what they they had a very primitive form of this, and it ended up with all sorts of you know rubbish. <laughs> but <laughs> but the um, the important thing was is that you know it was it, it sometimes would spit stuff out that looked incredibly human, and we would sometimes talk you know we 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 joke about the ghost in the machine, right? Which is you know another classic sort of story in this like like style of uh, science fiction, but you know, it, it can look very, very human, but there is no way it can ever become intelligent. It's just, there's just no space within the programming for it to become, for it to break out like data does, for example, in, in, in Star Trek, right? There's just no space for, for that to happen. And like, I think it's, Im- it's important, for instance, I, I, I'm a trans woman and I learned from trans voices. I, what's, what scares me is, I, is if either those those voices were censored and we would start using ChatGPT or AI like it to present stuff, I could either have it no trans voices or gender critical voices could be talking about trans issues. And then, for instance, the the young Jay who is trying to figure out what's going on never would have gotten the resources that I that I needed. And yeah, I mean this this and like. As you said, ra- racial issues. We we need to have black voices out there that want to talk about it. Need to be, um, and we need to to be keeping the hate there away from there. And it's just like when I was going through um, communication in school, and I had to write papers. My my academic professors were always like, every source that you look at, I want you to look at who wrote that, not just the author. What's the organization? What is their bias? Why do they say that they did? He said, it takes more time, but then that way when you're sourcing them, your information will be, you'll be able to know who's behind it. And I found like one source on my paper that backed up my point, found out that the person running that organization had a big agenda and it flawed my paper. <laughs> so I had to change that. Absolutely. And I think if again, as you said, these are important topics like, you know, if we censor, I mean, you know, as an example at the moment, if we censor things like gun uh, gun violence, which, look, without getting into it, the US government do that anyway, there's bans on research on this stuff, but we know that this needs to be a topic to be discussed. We know that, for example, that I think there was a, I'm not quite sure which part of the states, but I'd imagine Florida, where someone labelled trans people as mutants if that's the data that's going in that's the data that's coming out and we have to have that that ability to to have good resources again as jenny jay said if the resources aren't there and if we've got just another effectively a bunch of data that is let's you know let's say for example it turns into the andrew tate bot then that's no use to anyone in fact that, that spreads so much hate. I think this is a huge discussion. And one thing I just want to say, obviously I know there's going to be different opinions on this. We absolutely want to hear from everyone. So the usual podcast at crosswise.net over Discord, the only request we have, just like with everything, please be respectful of everyone. Um, Catherine, I know you're in our Discord. So um, I wanted to move us on a little bit to, can, you talked about like news news sites and content. But I guess the question is like, so if you're using um, a, a tool like ChatGPT or Bing, I mean, me and my friend, uh, just as an aside, we actually went onto Bing's AI tool 
and started asking a load of questions about a particular plot point in Star Trek. Actually, it was something, uh, I think the question was something along the lines of, is was Cap Commander Sisko right uh, justified in his hatred of Captain Picard because of the events of War 359? Anyone who gets that reference will will understand that reference. But and it actually, you know, it was going around, and then it tripped up. It got facts wrong because it had got it from a source but wasn't correct, and it started sending it down a whole thing that was in Star Trek beta canon, not Star Trek canon. And it was very, you, you could tell it was slipping up. But go, but stuff like that, when we talk about content, like maybe someone's written fan fiction using an AI, who owns the copyright on the content that has been published? Like if we wrote a script for a cross, crosswise YouTube video or even a whole podcast, who owns the copyright on the content that we're basing our content on? Right. So, I mean, copyright's a big problem in, in this sort of general area of what they call creative AI, right? Cause, um, in order for there to be some output, there needs to be input and the input tends to be copyrighted material. Um, in fact, there was, uh, I think it was Mid Journey, I think, um, was basically recreating the Getty Images uh, logo and they're being sued now by Getty Images because <laughs> they had so much come in from that, that source, right? And they were re- reproducing the watermark on it. Um, so it's, so there's a, actually a really interesting story about copyright with regard to the outputs of AI, right? And this comes back to actually, mm. um, there was this, uh, one of the, Big questions in copyright law is, do you have to be human to make copyright, right? For, for, for your outputs to be copyrightable. Now, I don't remember, don't know if you remember the monkey that took the photograph, uh, story, but there was a big legal dispute about whether a monkey that stole a photographer's camera and took a selfie, not knowing it was a selfie, basically kept the monkey just turned the camera around and pressed a button, but it came out as a really good selfie. Um, whether that monkey owned the copyright to its own photo because the photographer actually printed it and got a lot of money and, you know, went around the world with it in an exhibit and stuff like that. And um, I think there was like a mo- the monkey sanctuary, I think, was trying to kind of sue the photographer on behalf of the monkey. Anyway, it all went, you know, very silly, but but it in the end it was decided that the monkey does not have copyright because it is not a human. So... In that, if with that being generally considered the case, um, there's no way that the AI can have copyright. Uh, so it has to come back to a human somewhere. So is it now then the human that created the prompt, right? That went in and, and actually what is this idea that actually instead of to a certain degree, prompt writing is going to become a new skilled labor, uh, that people will pay a lot of money for. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it may well be that prompt writing is is like the person who wrote the prompt owns the copyright of the output of the prompt but then there's a lot of questions about then okay well um what about the people whose work went into that right and there's a lot of artists who are currently trying to you know get class actions and stuff together to actually sue various models for you know taking scraping that their work um deviant art which is big art um, website has locked down scraping and, you know, basically said it's, people can't use it to, to, to feed into, to models. There's, and, and this is all still up in the air, right? I mean, the, the gut instinct should, the gut instinct is, this is my little son who is, uh, 
has opinions. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the the gut instinct is that, that there should be some sort of like it doesn't seem fair, right? And there's a like I'm very keen on kind of practical ethics, right? So you have generally have a gut response to these things. So it doesn't seem fair that the artist whose work goes into these models doesn't get like recognize or had, didn't get to um, consent to have their art put into this model, right? The fact that people are then profiting off those models and therefore these artists work and creating art in the form of that um, artist. Like, you know, if, if you can put in prompts to say, you know, create me a cartoon in the style of Calvin and Hobbes or whatever, right? Like, and, 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 and it'll have a, it'll have a go at it. I mean, it's not very good at it, but it knows the sort of what the form is, right? It knows what it's, it knows what it's doing. Well, once again, see, here I am using these same words. It knows what it's doing. It understands it. Like, it's very easy to trip up and say, like and give these models more credit than they than they are actually due, right? It doesn't understand what a comic looks like. It doesn't understand what Rembrandt's or Van Gogh or you know their style. It doesn't understand that at all. All it understand, or all it can do, is say, "Aha! Uh-huh, well, here is a whole bunch of art that's been tagged Van Gogh. Um, here's the sort of thing that I need to put in the next pixel to make it look like that, right? Like to make it make it look." T- the the probabilities of responding to the prompt as being you know a high probability of it being correct right so that's just it's just that's really hard to say every time so you say understand or you say it knows or it say it thinks or whatever right so it's it's a very easy way, way to slip up but anyway um so to get back to this who owns the copyright right so at the moment we don't know we it's going to go through a whole lot of very complicated legal stuff i mean it's, it's copyright law is pretty broken anyway so i think there's probably there's going to be a space, lot of space to shake that up here but where how that happens and what that looks like i i've no idea to be honest with you and i, I can't even really see like i it's very hard to very hard to know where the where it should kind of fall as well ideally what should happen is only those who who's who consent, um, you know, only the people who consent have their artwork or their writing or whatever um, put into these models to start with. And I mean, maybe there's some sort of you know they can get payment for doing so or whatever. Like there's some sort of you know um, fair trade of of labour there, right? But that's you know the cat's out of the bag a little bit already, right? And uh, it's very hard once you've put. Once you've put all of this stuff into them into the mixture, it's a bit like uncracking eggs. You can't really do that so easily. So it, it'll be very interesting to see how how the law sorts all this out. Whether it tells these companies to go back and pull all this stuff out and retrain it again without without this data in it or whatever. I mean, we don't we don't know what it's going to look like. Like for instance, there's a site I believe it's Have I Been Trained that actually you can put your art into. And you can see if you've actually been trained into an AI, into an AI. Cause my first thought comes to creativity. You, I, I can have a template in a project. That type of file has been, been given, been licensed to me by whatever software I'm using. I have fonts and depending on the font I use, I've been licensed for the font. I've been licensed for the music I use, the sound effects, the clip art, the images, but that's been specifically licensed to be adapted. For what I'm doing, I can't, for instance, sell the thing outright. I have to make a derivative work using that. But as you said, all of this stuff has already been put out, well, already been scraped, and 
Yeah, how do you tell somebody? Because it does go back to the one thing I've I've thought about too, and like one thing that I've I've read about like the original idea, who wrote the idea, or or like sometimes something two places will have an idea that's very similar, and you wonder did they steal intellectual property, or did they both have an idea, or did they both get the idea from somebody else? And it, I mean, it's a very convoluted ethical case as well. Well, a prime example of that sort of like um, when we talk about intellectual property and who had the idea, there's been a thing going around for a very long time that um, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, is effectively Paramount stealing the series Bible that they got from J. Michael Straczynski for Babylon 5. Now, Straczynski said he's not sure they did, but there's enough in there that he thinks mm, they might have got inspired from it. But it, it, it's, you know, again, could this, you know, one day could our own show notes get sampled? Could episodes get sampled and used in, could someone say, oh, generate me a podcast about the ethics of AI and they suddenly scrape all of Apple podcasts? One thing I wanted to just quickly cal- clarify on, because tools like I'm thinking of uh, Pixelmator, uh, be, Pixelmator being a really good example, where and things like Super Resolution, where they will use machine learning to re- resample and recreate images. But my understanding is the only thing it's taking in. Well, no, maybe it's not. I guess on those one because obviously it's taking your image in, but then it's also where does it get the things like okay, how do I make this tree that appears based on my knowledge to be a oak tree? I've got a super high resolution image of an oak tree. Let me merge this in. Where does that come from? Because obviously Apple's we're talking here about Apple Silicon chips. This is why this works so well. They have a neural engine, but even the neural engine is still powered by a data set, unless I'm much mistaken on that. No, you're absolutely right. And I don't know is the answer to that question. I'm, I'm not really that familiar with the, but I mean, it's not like, you know, in the movies and stuff, they always say enhance, right? And there's this zooming in and this like, like a magic that kind of, you know, it makes the, the, the car number plate re- readable or whatever, right? And, and I mean, that's like, that's not how that works. Like you can't get something from nothing. So, um, there must be some other, other, under, not, here, here I am going again. Understanding, right? There must be some other data going into that. So I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not that familiar with Pixelmator. I'm afraid, but um, that, that it sounds from the sounds of things that it should. It should. It it probably has. It's. It will have, certainly will have been trained on similar things, basically, and and being told whether that was right or wrong. <laughs> but didn't Samsung get in trouble very recently for the moonshot stuff by? identifying even like blurry photos of a moon and then replacing the images with the moon. Yeah. Like the moon, because they said, Oh, our camera's so good. <laughs> no, that's exactly. I mean, and this is the, this is where we'll start to see it more and more. Right. So it won't be these big, like groundbreaking shifting changes in, in how we work or how we write or how we 
you know, create art or whatever necessarily. It'll be little tiny tweaks, things like these sorts of tools in Photoshop or in a camera phone or, or, or in Instagram filters or whatever that, that, that just make little minor changes, but ones that are quite significant. And actually there's sort of, there's sort of changes that people will actually like. They'll like the fact that, you know, their faces look smoother or their um, hair is now pink or, you know, all of these, but these will all be run by these, these very, well, the narrow AI, the very specific um, machine learning applications that have the, have these sorts of tasks assigned to them. And so, yeah, I mean, they, they, once again, it still requires training. It's still, I mean, and it can come down to just basically, you know, pixel, pixel replacement for, you know, hair, for example. But like um, more complicated things like the moon, it will, what will, it'll probably be looking for, quote unquote, once again, um, is, you know, the moon shape. And it will be, aha, this, this, this has got a 99.8% probability that it's a picture of the moon. Let's, you know, what, what do we do next? We get our nice picture of the moon and we stick it on top. Isn't that right, Alex? That's what we do. And um, (laughs) (laughs) so we stick the picture of the moon on top and everyone's happy because they think they've taken a really cool picture of the moon when actually it kind of (laughs) sucked. So, yeah. 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 (laughs) And, um, I mean, Adobe has been coming out with, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes, a, a suite of tools called Firefly. And they've been called out on, well, are you going to be endangering my ability to, to do work because of all this stuff? And they have said that they claim that they want to be responsible, but it is a very real question. Cause yeah, the smart brush feature in Photoshop, for example, it does use what you gave it, but then hopefully Adobe is not, fe- not feeding what I do in Photoshop to someone else. Yeah. To, to its model without your consent, which, which it will be, and like you'll probably find there'll be some fine print somewhere or a general, you know, terms of service or whatever that you've said yes to. And I mean, theoretically, they should be a lot more nuanced than that these days. They should ask for specific, but you know, every, anytime it asks for, you know, for you to send back data for training purposes or anything like that, that's what they're using it for. They'll be using it to not just train their people, but train their data sets and tra- sorry, train their algorithms basically. And it's, it's interesting seeing so many to like, even look, we are huge fans of Nextcloud for its privacy, but they've added an AI. But I, I think I want to read more up on this. I'm not at all saying that, that, um, that any of the stuff we're putting into the show notes is getting used to train a model. I think it's very different in how they're doing it. I want to understand this. In fact, we are waiting for confirmation. We're, I think we've got one. We're going to have someone from Nextcloud coming on to talk because. Again, if you're maybe doing a, a you know, let's say, I, I want to be careful not to, not to annoy, um, particular companies, but Google Docs comes instantly to mind as a potential source of AI training data. Well, w- Google Assistant, many of us have used Google Assistant. One of the ways it trained its voice dictation years ago in the United States, there was a phone company there was a phone service called Google 411 it was a free service you could call and i thought wow google's giving us all this data for free because this was before we had smartphones and stuff accessible what we have found out and they've even admitted it on blog posts and in press articles 
the Google Voice Assistant. I mean, I hope I did not trigger anybody's. I did not try to say the Google words, but their assistant got trained as one of the data sets on Google 411. And it is sometimes there. It is interesting that like, I know that stuff is years ago, but I feel like it all is related in many ways. And I think we are definitely looking at a new trend. So one thing I want to kind of move into a little bit is both a little bit more like the integrity of using stuff, both in work and in academics. So John, John Gruber uses movable type. Mm. And on the talk show, he put in a request for some code of movable type, which is not as prevalently used as it used to be. WordPress is overtaking it in market share. And he was impressed at the fact that movable type code was coming back from chat GPT in such a way. And so, I mean, it has some pretty advanced data set, but like, what is the extent I've been watching YouTube videos of people creating programs and, and games and stuff and, and using chat GPT asking for it. There's even some, some, there's even a thing I'm trying out. And I actually ask chat GPT, not giving any of our data, but more just saying, Hey, can you give me some, what would be a code that I could use? I'm a little weary at using that code because I don't know where it came from, but I was impressed at how quickly it knew what looked like good code. Now I've been hearing from some people that the code from JTPD works, some people that, that not. And I think, um, Catherine, you make a good point that it depends on where that code came from because what, one of the podcasts I was listening to describes it perfectly. It's, it's like a parlor trick, but that, yeah, that it looks, it looks sentient. And my biggest question to try to not ramble is what is the ethics and integrity of using this stuff in either work and academia? I think academia, we can especially touch on, but even work. Say my boss says, I need this done and I could spend my time that I'm trained on and experienced on to do it, or I could get ChatGPT to do it, send it off. What is my integrity and ethics on that? Is that something that you'd be able to speak on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the thing, once again, we need to reiterate once again is that it doesn't understand really what you want. Um, it will never understand it. But if you say, you know, give me a bubble sort algorithm in Python that takes these inputs, it will be able to do that for you because those that is a fairly, it's a standard algorithm that has been written down many times over the web. It's probably been asked about about 50 gazillion times on Stack Overflow. Uh, sorry, Stack, Stack Overflow, Stack Exchange. <laughs> um, and uh, the, um, it's, it's, you know, that, that's a very kind of standard set of, of things to, to do. And I mean, it's in a lot of things like, um, um, tests for, for jobs, for example, those sorts of, there's a lot of these sorts of classic algorithms. And there's also like these, there's textbooks that have all these classic algorithms in it too. And I can guarantee they scraped all of them, right? I mean, I'm, you know, um, I've got, I've got some good classic Knuth in the background here in, in, in on my, on my, uh, on my bookshelf. And I can guarantee that's in there, right? So. To a certain degree, it's not so much about where the code came from. It's about the prompt that was used to create, to, to, to ask for the code, right? And this is once again why I think prompt writing is going to be the next 
well, it's not going to be the next, okay? I don't want to buy into this stupid hype because I think it's stupid, but <laughs> it's going to be a thing that people will be looking for, right? But the problem is, is that you still need to understand what the code does in order, like, you need, you'll still need to understand Python in order to be able to know if the, the, the code that you've got will actually work for you and to debug it because it's not going to be, it's not going to be, there's a like, you know, it's going to have a, what, maybe a 99% chance of, of, of being right for whatever small purpose you want it. But I mean, it really depends on how specific you are as well, right? So if you say, oh, hey, chat GPT, write me a social media app in, you know, C++, you're going to have a hell of a time dealing with the output of that because it will not actually have written, done, done what you ask it to. It will have, created something <laughs> a bit like the pro bit like that uh the bible king james bible example that i had before right it will it will have picked up the main things produced some code because um that that looks about right from from various sources for that but there'll be no like ability like there, there won't be any th way to put it together or understand you know then what you actually do with it necessarily either right so but if you say hey you know give me a very specific sorting algorithm or write hello world in Python or something that's fairly simple, it'll be able to do that for you because those are very standard, easy things that, you know, are in every textbook basically. So I think, I think, I think that's, that's the, the coding side in terms of the actual ethics of that. I mean, people are doing that all the time anyway, right? I mean, you go on and you say, oh, how do I solve this problem? I've got this problem when I'm, you know, coding. You might ask a friend, a colleague, someone that you know that knows Python better than you. Um, like, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's whole support groups for people who <laughs> have Python programming questions, right? So it's not, I don't think there's anything unethical about asking for help um, in terms of creating stuff like that. I mean, ultimately when it comes to it, pro programming is, you know, it's not, it's, it's it's more than just typing out the the code right there's a, the conceptualization there's the design there's the testing there's the you know all of the other parts to programming that are not just writing the code so i mean sure okay if someone else writes a bit of code for you then 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 that's fine in terms of in academia this is where it gets a bit more complicated because the idea is, is that you're learning and you're supposed to be learning how to do this stuff you're supposed to be learning how to write an essay how to program how to you know argue a case right and if you're getting you know a large language model to do those things for you um, then maybe you're not learning. But I mean, this is one argument, right? But then there's another argument that says, actually, if you want to have a, a good essay that argues, say, I don't know, for about the ethics of chat GPT, for example, <laughs> you need to first, you need to understand, you need to be able to write the, the prompt well enough to actually have it be able to put out the sorts of data that you want it to output. Um, but also, like, you need to actually go and find sources because it's not good at sources. And that's one of the things that we've discovered is that it can, it has complete fantastical citations for people that just do not, like, exist. In fact, a bunch of my academic colleagues have had people writing to them asking for papers that ChatGPT has just concocted from somewhere. And they look like the sort of papers that these, that my colleagues would write, but they're not actually, they've never written them. And, <laughs> and so, <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, that's, that's basically, you know, where, where, where it's at on that. And so, I mean, Writing is hard for a lot of people, and I can certainly see this being an accessibility thing, right? For people who are, say, dyslexic or, you know, have, um, you know, other, like, maybe some, some learning disabilities or something like that, it might actually be, you know, a, a really good way to help them to be 
more accessibly social or um, you know able to to overcome some of the challenges they have in an academic uh, in an academic setting for example but uh, it's about then what do we do as academics right how do we actually te- like do we do we come down and, and listen say you're not allowed to use it do we work with it do we um you know try to to ban it like i mean turnitin which is the plagiarism checker now has a an ai checker as well and it's already uh, i've seen some ai checkers um that you can just get on the internet you can up- upload a paper and it will tell you the the probability of it having been an ai created essay and it's already getting it wrong right it's already bringing up false negatives and and so or f- false positives i guess in this case right <laughs> so yeah it's 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 a it's a problem because we're now using ai to check for ai and <sighs> where does it stop really so i think you know there's a lot to be said for working with this right and you know we change up the way that we assess right so we get we we have more sort of like uh you know question answer type type things where it's it's sort of done you know it's it's done live or whatever i don't like going back to traditional exams because i think they're quite inaccessible but um you know things like presentations things like uh different like like more creative styles of of assessment that aren't necessarily essays for example so i mean i i i've done all sorts of unessays and weird thing like creative like artist artworks and all sorts of stuff like <laughs> you know but thing things that sort of are a bit more um you know, they're the, the less g- gamifiable, I guess, by, by AI or things, you know, that, or you just let them go for it and you pick out the, 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 the low hanging fruit of the ones that are obviously not bothering to cite, you know, they're not, then they're coming up with r- random ridiculous citations or I mean, there's so many different ways you could, you could go about it. But I, I think, you know, the cat's out of the bag now we're not going to be able to put it back in. And I think we're going to have to live with what we've got now, at least, in terms of these sorts of large language models, because that's, you know, people, people are creative, uh, and they can use it for very creative things. And we've seen a lot of very creative and fun things come out of these language models. But then also people, uh, we find particularly in academia, students are busy, and they have multiple responsibilities, they have caring responsibilities, they have, you know, um, they work three jobs, they, they they have a crappy home life, um, and they need to get their paper in by midnight tonight, even though they've had no sleep for three weeks, because they've been, you know, with had insomnia or whatever, like, I mean, and, and, and so they'll, they'll take the, they'll take what they can get right and and then we just have some students who are just plain like want to get through with the minimum amount of work possible right and so <laughs> there's a whole bunch of reasons why people might actually use these to in an in an academic setting in particular and i mean we just have to kind of it's going to be very hard to kind of um it, it, we're asking the wrong question in some ways because we need to basically be going back to 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 what is assessment how are we assessing and is you know the classic form of assessment is that actually still a reasonable way to assess learning and i mean it's an easy way to assess learning but is it an appropriate one especially given these new tools so i think i think you know academia's got a lot to to work on but I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be a fraught battle between the the old schoolers and the new schoolers. I suspect. I think you're right. That's a very going to be very very interesting, and it's going to be, you know, it'll be an interesting battle. I think I'm with you because look, I 
you know, I'm not an academic. I, I get my hands dirty. I love learning new things, but I was terrible at exams, terrible at things like that. I never found them helpful for me to assess my learning because I got very stressed, um, you know, particularly with my eyesight. And although I got extra time, the school really handled it badly. And that aside, moving on because i'm very much aware of of time and um also the fact that we've we've obviously got an extra guest who's definitely very interested in sharing his opinions and he's very welcome (laughs) we we again we talked a lot about the whole this whole thing of what is feeding the data sets now that then brings us around to what does that mean in terms of the data that you're putting in in your prompts in things like that because Let's just flip this around to data security. If you're working in an industry that has maybe, you know, confidential d- data, like for example, okay, let's say you are a doctor and you're treating Mrs. Jones and she's got a rather embarrassing medical condition. So you would potentially put into chat GDP, oh, how do I, how do I soothe a, condition i'm not going to name a condition you can all imagine your own embarrassing medical conditions for this purpose in a 58 year old female with history of blah 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 who lives in xyz because that could be a factor and you accidentally may even put the name in by accident or something like that what are the implications of that because you've just fed an ai training model and an ai prompt a bunch of PID, personally identifiable information, and very sensitive information as well. Like how, because you know, what what do you do it? Yeah, like do how do we be mindful of that? I mean, is it just as simple as don't put that stuff into Chat GPT? Yeah, it is that simple. I mean, we should not be putting that sort of stuff into Chat GPT. I mean, the problem is, is that we will because we're humans and we're really bad at making decisions like that, and we're just you know we we don't think about it. We, we, we just sort of assume that it's a black box that nothing's ever going to come out of. And it just, you know, we've already sort of touched on this before, but, you know, we're starting to see things where, where the fact that they've been scraping publicly accessible information is coming back to kind of haunt, haunt the people that, that created that information. Right. And, um, and so we're starting to, and, and, and also there's some strange sort of things going on with um, some of these models where, you know, you can put in sort of uh, prompts and it will come back with something completely different. And like, I mean, there's obviously some bugs, I think, being ironed out there, but there's a lot going on in terms of, of, of the security of the data that you're putting in. And the questions that you're asking as well, the security of those questions. So, I mean... I think, I think it's going to, there's going to be a huge, I think we're going to see a huge uptick in the amount of education for people who work in, in particularly vulnerable industries like healthcare and schools and things like that about the use of chat GPT within the schools. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see those, the IP addresses, you know, like schools lock down a lot of, um, websites. I suspect they'll probably lock down all the chat GPT type websites just to start with. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did the same in like... Because you know, you know what kids are like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, and yeah, well, that's exactly right. And, um, I mean, kids are going to see it as their new horoscope or whatever, right? I mean, they're going to put all, like, they're, they're going to have an absolute blast with it. But I think, I think the thing, like, I mean, we're also like, there's, there was a paper, I think, saw go by recently or some, a blog post or something that talked about the, 
the um, amount of stuff that had been coming into the, like the actual chat prompts and, and the amount of personal information that had come into it already was really significantly big and they were worried about it because, I mean, it ultimately also comes back to the companies that actually run these models. They're now storing personal identifiable information and that requires a lot of legal responsibility in terms of especially things like the GDPR and the UK Data Privacy Act and whether America gets itself together at some point and has a similar thing, who knows, but, uh, you know, it seems increasingly necessary that they do it. <laughs> um, but uh, really when it comes down to it, it's, it's yeah, I mean, you just don't, don't put – just leave it to fun things like writing a storyline yeah. in the in the in the the style of Seinfeld or whatever. Like like just just yeah. I mean it's not 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 a good idea at all because it not only can it come back to haunt you, it can also be potentially quite dangerous because you could be feeding it stuff that then crosses with other information to create completely fantastical results, right? I mean, it does that anyway. So I mean, that's the other thing, right, is that you never know even if what you're going to get back about whatever it is that you've asked it for is actually factual either. So if you're putting in like – if you're asking it for kind of factual information about work stuff, you better be double-checking it as well because it's like if you're using this for, say, mission-critical understanding of what that medical condition is, for example, you know, it's – you're um, you're potentially going to cause a lot of trouble if if it if it's wrong, right? And you've got to be thinking about what how much am I how much am I willing to risk my own professionalism on this, right? And and yeah, I, I think it comes back to I mean I'm going to put my professional ethics hat on here and say it comes back to professionalism and really you need to be thinking about what's what would a professional be doing and it's not putting personal information into giving it out to third parties. Um, and it's all, certainly not taking the results of a large language model as, you know, un, uh, uncritical, uncriticized fact, basically. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I'm hoping that, for instance, when we start seeing it more and more applications, that these applications, that if they decide to use ChatGPT for their data, that any data that's in these like in these business or work applications that they don't feed that back at at all that if, if they sanitize that if they keep it secure there's a little bit less fear and because there's already been some people some articles about people putting in confidential information about businesses and other people finding it there so i think that's a huge huge thing to think about it's incredibly risky and i think yeah it comes down to professional ethics it comes down to your company's information security policy it's there for a reason Absolutely. and you know and it's going to be the case that data exfiltration protection tools like things like clear swift and other tools are going to have to start baking in protections on chat dpt i can see chat those those ips and those addresses getting blocked in so many corporate scenarios um look you know it's something i could do here very easily we were talking you know with alex literally so for perspective the episode we recorded not you not this alex alex uh different alex <laughs> um alex low the uh, wi-fi guy um we're talking with him recently well literally a couple of hours ago about all the features that routers have for content control well just, you're gonna have to start looking at this stuff and I would, I would really, really be uncomfortable right now if I was a, if I was a chief information officer or information security officer or data protection officer in a business. You know, I mean, 
so for example i have just asked for my data to be raised at the uh restart course that i was on when i was unemployed because i'm like i don't want you having any more of my data i'm done and they'll do that but what you know what if they were putting in oh find me jobs that would be suitable for for james based on this well that's sending the fact that i wasn't working it was sending my cv potentially and i get enough spam on linkedin from podcast promoters by the way if any podcast promoters are listening be very very clear no we don't want you to help us find to hit the top 100 in itunes we'll try and do that by ourselves thank you very much but i want to say uh Catherine, thank you so much for joining with us. And, and also thank you, Alex, for joining us as well. I mean, I, this has been an absolutely amazing talk. And I think I know that our listeners are also going to have come away with a lot of things to think about because I think this is a fascinating future, but also one with a lot of repercussions and a lot of things. And it's not new. It's it's the current hype. But it's things that in some ways it feels like we haven't learned something as a tech culture. And I think one of the quotes I like to kind of go is just because we can doesn't mean we should. Isn't that a quote? I think isn't that a great line from Jurassic Park? We, we, we think just because we can do something doesn't mean we necessarily should. I think that. Yeah. Is that, is that Jeff Goldblum's line? I, yes. I think so. Is oh, that the yeah. Jeff Goldblum or this the. Is, this is my entire uh, reason for existence. This, this, uh, like I use this. There's a, there's a, there's a different, this that I use all the time. Um, and that's basically my entire job description. Yep. <laughs> Can I just say one more thing on all of this? I think it's also just, just to come back to the hype thing. I mean, you get a lot of, there's a lot of hype around AI at the moment. And, and it is a bit scary because people are saying a lot of things that it could potentially do. Now, remember that could potentially does not mean does right now. And uh, it's very important to, to separate that out because there's a lot of people with a lot of money who are going to be make, trying to make a lot of money off this potential could do. Um, and this is, we see, saw the same thing with the cryptocurrency. Um, uh, hype cycle, right? There was a huge lot of, oh, it can potentially, uh, blockchain can do all of these, potentially do all of these things. It can potentially change, you know, how you buy your house. It can change how you invest your money, all this sort of stuff, right? And then it kind of crashed and burned horribly because it didn't actually do any of that. Now, we need to be very careful about AI, about what it can and can't do. And a lot of the hype at the moment is very, very hype-tastic in terms of what it might be able to do in the future. But a lot, we need to be focusing on what it actually does do now. And a lot of what it does do now is actually quite problematic just to start with. It has got a lot of potential, right? But it doesn't mean that we, you know, um, it doesn't mean that it's not a problem. Like it's not got issues. Like the issues that it might have in the future, like taking over the world or whatever it is, all this sort of hype you see from these future, future, futuristy types. Don't worry about that. <laughs> what we need to be worrying about now is things like the bias in the data sets. We need to be worrying about the nuances of the results that we get. We need to be worried about the things like copyright and fairness and consent and all of these issues that are actually affecting that now. And that's what I'd like to end on, basically. <laughs> I think that's a great, a great point to end on. And it is, you know, look, it is, you know, the, the whole point of us doing this show is to look at all these questions and say, again, is this right? Um, and should we, you know, what, what do we need to be concerned about in these technologies? 
Catherine, if people want to find more about your work and uh, and obviously maybe follow you on the socials, I think you're you're um, you're obviously I was going to say you're very active on Mastodon, but it does help. But I think you're one of the mods on a on a Mastodon server, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I'm uh, at Catherine Flick at Mastodon.me.uk. I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, I am. I still kind of keep one half of an eye on Twitter where I'm at Catherine Flick, but I mostly just use that for like um, broadcast rather than actual interaction these days because of you know various reasons. Um, and you can find my website at www.ledra.net where I have a blog and a bunch of other stuff that might be interesting. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you very much. I'm going to end on one thing. Yeah. (laughs) I went to chat. DPT, write me a thank you to a podcast guest in the style of Kirk from Star Trek. Dear esteemed podcast guest, I cannot express the depth of gratitude in my heart for appearing on our podcast. Your knowledge, humor, and passion for your field were reminiscent of the fearless exploration we (laughs) undertake on the USS Enterprise. Your contribution to our podcast has enriched our (laughs) minds and expanded their horizons beyond measure. Truly, your wisdom is a gift to us all. We are humbled by your generosity in sharing it. If there is ever anything we can do to reciprocate your kindness, do not hesitate to ask. We stand ready to assist you in your future endeavors. Holy going where no up is, is gone before. Live long and prosper, my friend. You will always have a place among us on this journey through the cosmos. Gratefully yours, Kirk. Flick! Oh. <laughs> think with that. That's the best, that's the best thank you I've ever had. Thank you so much, uh, ChatGPT, via J, via Kirk, somewhere. <laughs> Oh my. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post, or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode and we'd love you to join the discussion there. You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at mastodon.social. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. More of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live our upcoming streams. If you like what you heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crosswires. That is ko-fi.com slash crosswires. Until next time, thanks for listening.